Hallelujah, hallelujah. To give you a sense of direction of where I'm going, I'll go ahead and give you the title of the lesson tonight, and uh, we'll just see how things go. Title of the lesson tonight is Loved and Never Forsaken. Loved and Never Forsaken. Amen. We're going to read our text from Hebrews chapter 13, so while I'm making a few comments, if you wouldn't mind turning to Hebrews chapter 13, and I'm just going to give you just a little bit of a backstory on this chapter and really just making some general comments about the context of what the text is going to be pulled out of. That The Apostle Paul, the writer of Hebrews, ends the letter with topics that vary in nature, but yet they all come together as one but it covers the responsibility of the saints. And it goes through many topics, and I'm going to read through some of them about brotherly love. It starts off in Hebrews chapter 13 in verse 1. Hospitality in verse 2. Sympathy for those in bonds in verse 3. Fidelity in marriage relation in verse 4. Contentment in verses 5 and 6. Submission to those in authority, verses 7 and 8. Stability, the doctrines of religion, verses 9 through 15. Benevolence, verse 16. Obedience to those entrusted with office, in verse 17. And special prayer for him who wrote this epistle, verses 18 through 19. And then the epistle closes with a beautiful and impressive benediction in verses 21, 20 through 21. And then with an entreaty that they would, they would receive favor from what they have been written in verses 22, and with the grateful announcement that Timothy, in whom they doubtless felt a great interest, was set at liberty in verse 23, and then he closes it out and with the book with a salutation to all the saints in verses 24 and 25. And with that, we're going to read our text in Hebrews, you don't have to stand, I'm going to go through, we're going to read this several times, so not to wear out the saints tonight, but we're going to read Hebrews chapter 13 and verses 5 and 6. It says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So it is smack dab right in the middle of talking about marriage and submission to those in authority. You could make a joke about marriage there, maybe even about those that sympathy and bonds. Again, we're talking about marriage. Um, hospitality, I don't know. It just depends on how long you've been married. These newlyweds around here, they don't know anything about what I'm talking about. Uh, but no, I appreciate the relationship with my wife that I have, and she is definitely a help to me, and I appreciate her immensely. She helps behind the scenes and helps me even do things behind the scenes. She'll do things behind the scenes, behind the scenes, if I could say it that way. And uh, she props me up, and I so appreciate all of our help. I'm going to do something a little unconventional. I'm going to tell you a story about a young man, and I'll try to uh, not give all the details because it's a lengthy story, and it's one of which it takes a lot of time to consume. But I'm going to tell you a story about a man named Anthony, and uh, a young man who's handsome, intelligent, talented. Uh, he was once interviewed as he was living on the life of Skid Row, and no, I'm not talking about you, Xander. I said Anthony. I see you with that smirk on your face over there. But Anthony was living on Skid Row, and he was given the opportunity to be interviewed, and he began to share his story of how he got to where he's at. He had just graduated college at the time of his interview. He was 29 years old, and at the age of 28, he had graduated from college. He had awards given to him, and competitions won for his work as a cellist, and talented hands that could control a difficult instrument and be able to play and master it so he could play it in front of an audience. In the conversation, he was able to articulate to the highest level, even though he was deeply addicted to fentanyl and had meth and cocaine, and, but his drug of choice was fentanyl. 
and he was still able to articulate to the highest levels, uh, comprehending complex problems and providing deep thoughts of analysis about life, his situation in life, and giving an understanding to what Skid Row really was. And he had made comments stating that he felt like this was the place he was meant to be in life. He said this was what he preferred instead of the political hierarchy of civilization, working the job, trying to climb the ladder. He said, I have chosen, I have chosen to live the life on Skid Row. And he says, this is the place that I feel like I have to be. Um, he lived in a quiet, as he said in his words, cold family, as he was the only child, and his parents worked their career paths, and Anthony was just in the middle of it all. He was trapped in. The family had uh, members of a denominal church that was very rigid, very strict, but also very cold and no spirit moving whatsoever. It was in the midst of this that Anthony, as a young man, began to go adrift, and it was at the age of 15 that Anthony says, I was first introduced to drugs. And he goes, they go, they ask the question, how? He says, it was the normal way. They go, what do you mean? He goes, it was the normal way. Start off with marijuana, doing Adderall, doing all the drugs that teenagers just seem like it's normal and accepted. He goes, then it progressed. And he goes, and I kept going deeper and deeper into this life of drugs. And so they found an opportunity, that spirit of this old world that wants to destroy every heart, found its way into Anthony's situation, whether he wanted it or not. He's in his confusion, in his state, in the mix of everything going on around him, not fitting in with his family because of his life choices, he decided that reflecting over his life, I'm just going to choose drugs. He said there was only one individual that he ever felt love from, and that was his grandmother, and he said, she was the only one in my corner. She was the only one cheering me on. She provided him some level of support, but she was the only one that was able to give him any um, support emotionally as well. He said the day that she passed away, he felt so alone. His words are, I am the loneliest person in the world. And this is a man with talent, looks, good-looking young man. He says, I spend my day walking skid row, bent over, looking at the earth, trying to find things of value. He said, I can't even lift my head up. And most of the interview, he stood there with his shoulders stooped over, his head pointed down, very rarely looking to the person who was talking to him. But he talked to that person eye to eye at the very end of this conversation. He, and I'll get to that in a moment, he says, people... He said, there's no hope, and everyone has abandoned him. He says, people have memorized him and know how, uh, how he looks. And so when he walks into a store, he says he's not greeted as a pleasant customer, but instead he's screamed at and told to get out. He says, I relive my life, my childhood as a child, because as I made my life decisions, it goes, my parents, when I turned 18, looked at me and said, Anthony, get out. And he goes, my family, my extended family, then yelled at me, get out. We have exhausted ourselves trying to help you these last several years. You're on your own, and you need to get out. He says, I graduated from college high on drugs. He goes, I went through with a constant high. My life every day is searching for a way to buy drugs. Asked where he slept. He says, I sleep wherever I fall asleep. I have no place to sleep. I've been on the, on the streets for so long. He says, I just sleep anywhere I can. He says, so his memories of being rejected are always reiterated among civilization as he goes into stores and sees people. He goes, when someone actually genuinely tries to reach out to me, I get angry. And he says, I get angry because of this one fact. Where were you when I needed you? Where were you? Why is it that you're coming to me now? Why is it that you're willing to come help me now 
after I have destroyed my life. I have absolutely nothing. I have no hope. There is no escape. His method of escape is continually getting high. And he says, I've tried to do my best to get high every day. It's continually, he says, I've overdosed three times. I've coded flat cold, been brought back, and I was angry because they brought me back when I was trying to escape. Can you imagine a life so desperate, so full of despair, so all hope is lost? And the interview closed out with one last question. The person interviewing says, Anthony, can you share any lesson learned? And as I said, he's very articulate, very intelligent, and leaped to an answer and stopped. And he paused, and he sat there, he rephrased the question, and then emotion hit, and you could tell he was really digging deep for the answer. And as he began to sit there for what seemed like so long and awkward, you could see him looking, and his emotion was coming over him. And he finally opened his mouth and says, keep your family close. Keep your family close. People that are so deep in despair and feel like they have been forsaken, they're not loved, they can't even call their own family and say, I love you. He said, they've forgotten about me. I don't even talk to them. They don't reach out to me. I am off the radar. They don't even know who I am. It was a powerful story as I began to take note of what this young man was saying. And the thing is, I've seen the same people on the streets of our very city. Went and knocked doors with people with that same stupor on their face. Anthony is not the unique individual just because he lives in California on L.A.'s Skid Road. He is not so far from us that this scenario doesn't play out. Anthony feels like he's lost all hope and has nothing left to live for. But when I begin to read through the Scriptures, the Bible tells us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And as I began to think about this and put the pondering in my mind about the Word of God, about what does it mean to leave us nor forsake us, why would God have to make this statement time and time again through the Scripture? And it's made in the Old Testament, New Testament, about never leaving nor forsaking, along those same lines, and makes that same statement. And it talks about, you know, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, part of our text, it says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And as we begin to look at the scripture, I begin to do some studying and looking at the word of leave. And it means, and you look in Thayer's Greek dictionary, it means to send back, to let go, relax, loosen, give up, or desist from. When we look at the word for forsake, it means to leave behind a common understanding, to abandon or to desert. But when we look at these passages, passages of Scripture, nothing deep here tonight, saints, but I believe God, as I said before, wants to help somebody that's feeling like they're in nothing but despair and all hope is lost. But I'm here to tell you today that you are loved by God and you are never forsaken. God will keep his promises, and he will take care of you. Without fail, he will take care of you. It's in his word, in the very text that we read, that if you appoint your heart towards him, and if you will serve him with all of your heart, God will not leave you nor forsake you. God is saying, I will never leave, meaning I'll never send you back. What's interesting is he's saying, you'll never not meet my expectations. If you'll come give me all, I will accept it. No, doubt, I, I have no doubt that probably most of us has sent back a meal that did not meet our expectations. Whether they grossly messed it up, cold food, 
hair in your food, wrong order, whatever it may be. But God says, if you will come to me and cast your cares upon me, I will care for you. That care is never leaving your side. That care is never forsaking you. That care is promising to be with you always. He says, I'll never leave you, meaning I will never let go of you. I will never relax my hold on you. I will never loosen my grip on you. I will never give up on you. And I will never remove myself from you. If you're willing to serve me, I promise you this is what I will give unto you. He will never, ever leave you. It doesn't matter what anybody else says around you, how bad they talk to you, how they run you in the ground, the names they call you. God will never, ever leave you. We as humans know that when you're holding somebody's hand, you know when they want to let go, right? They loosen their grip. You have to pry yourself out of the hands of God. He will never loosen his grip if you have a sincere heart and you're willing to pursue after him and long for him and serve him. And when you have these thoughts of despair, if you're willing to bring them to him, all you have to do is say, God, you just have to talk to the one you're holding the hand of. You don't have to lay it down and go seek it somewhere else. You're in the presence of the answer. Don't lose sight of God, just like Anthony said. Don't lose your family. Don't let go of your relationship with God and the church. It will never let go of you if you keep holding fast to God. And he continues to say, I'll never forsake you. It means I'll never leave you behind, abandon you, or desert you. God will never absent-mindedly walk away and forget you're there, and you have to cry out and say, God, don't forgive me. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. You totally slipped my mind. We are the apple of his eye. He's the one who looks at us every day and says, is Douglas going to talk to me today? Is Douglas going to keep his heart pointed towards me today? How is Douglas going to let me bless him? How is Douglas going to let me take care of him? How is he going to trust in me? Because the objective of a Savior is to make sure you are loved and you know your Savior is present. He'll never forsake you. God wants you to know and feel the words that this man is saying right now. This is a message direct for somebody who feels like all hope is lost. I'm not shooting in the dark tonight. I believe God has somebody in mind and he's trying to convey when reason doesn't reason in your mind, God's trying to use his word to tell you, would you just stop? And listen to what I'm trying to tell you. You are loved and never forsaken. God needs you to listen and stop distracting yourself with everything else that's going on tonight. Everything else that went on today, yesterday, or even planned for tomorrow. God wants you to stop and listen. He loves you. There's a beautiful reference in Scripture from the Apostle Paul that I would like to read to you and a little bit of the backstory on what this is. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter from prison, as many of his, his prison epistles that he wrote, and it's believed that he wrote it while imprisoned in Rome. And the extent of his imprisonment was great, it says over two years, and he is able to be effective in ministering and spreading the gospel. And Bishop even preached a message about this recently about the saints in the house of Caesar. What a beautiful story. I read this passage many times and others related to it. Opened my eyes with revelation of how beautiful 
that really was and how impactful that was. The ministry of Paul was profound because he was able, when it's in time of imprisonment, he was able to take the gospel and send it to the house of the highest of authority. And they were able to go, people go preach on the street. Because of the boldness of the apostle Paul, people were willing and able to open the word of God and begin to share it openly and without fear of persecution because of the, the inspiration they drew from the Apostle Paul. But Philippi was a beloved place for the Apostle Paul. It was the first place that he preached when in, in Europe, whenever in Acts chapter 16, you know, the Word of God says the Spirit came to him. We'll read that. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And you see that the Apostle Paul, obedient to the Word of God, went to Macedonia, and they began to preach the very first time in Europe, standing there in the city of Philippi. As his custom was, the Apostle Paul went to the major city and began to preach the Word of God. You know, that's something that we can take note of and take some inspiration of, because the Apostle Paul didn't go to the smallest farm town with six people. He went to the very uh, the, the front lines of where things are. And in the midst of this, in the, in the midst of everything that went on, went on in, in Philippi, we find that the Apostle Paul began to preach in the city square, and he began to talk to a lady called Lydia, the seller of purple, and converted her, and she opened up her house unto him and Silas. And then we find that he cast the devil out of a girl that was making money. They were making money off of her imprisonment by the spirit that was upon her. And after the Apostle Paul and Silas were cast in jail, we know the story of how at the midnight hour, the presence of God and their worship came, and they began to worship God, and it shook the very foundation and opened up every cell door, and all stepped out. We know that the sailor, the, 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 the jailer was getting ready to commit suicide, and, and uh, the Apostle Paul, they stopped him and preached the gospel to him, and he was saved, and his family was saved, and all of those things happened, and Philippi. And then there is this special letter written to the church. And as we read the letter, it was written to the believers that you can tell and you can feel the affection that he has towards them. And as he begins to write the letter written in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you, and peace, and from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins to give thanksgiving and prayer in verse 3. It says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, for you all, making request with joy, letting them know, listen, church, you're on my mind. I'm praying for you. He goes on to read in verse 5, it says, for, the, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, you have held to this truth from the very beginning. He's letting them know, listen, this is not something that you picked up haphazardly, but you walked in here, you picked it up, you held to it. It's been a treasure to you, and God's going to honor you for it. But he goes on to say in verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's letting them know you're a part of the heavenly bride. You're a part of the bride that Jesus Christ is wanting to come and catch away, and you're going to be working with him. He's going to be present among you until he returns for his church. And and he begins to write on in verse 7, it says, even as it is meet for me, meaning is it is right for me to think that this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Christ, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are led by Jesus Christ unto the glory 
and praise of God. The Apostle Paul wrote a beautiful letter to the church at Philippi. He was letting them know, listen, I love you. You're in my prayers. You're on my mind. Stay tuned to what you have learned while I've been there. Stay in tune with those things. Don't let go of them. And God is going to richly reward you. A beautiful letter. I like the verse 6 in the context of what we're talking about tonight. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I begin to look at this passage of Scripture, nothing really deep, but I begin to look at the confidence that the Apostle Paul began to write these Scriptures thousands or however many hundreds of thousands of miles he was away from them from Rome to Philippi he still wrote with confidence it was because it was because they were believing in his teachings from the very beginning they had not wavered they had not lost faith people had went to go visit him and be able to communicate what's going on at Philippi that's who brought the letter back one of the elders from the church at Philippi, and they began to talk and no doubt give him updates on the church, but he spoke with confidence. And I began to look at this. I was like, well, does he know something that they don't know? What's the, what's the issue here? And he begins to write this. And as I looked at this, I was like, you know what? The Holy Ghost prompted him and gave him the words to say, but I believe there's something that the Apostle Paul's doing. This is dropped right in the middle of all of these beautiful things that he's saying to this church. And he's talking about being confident of this very thing. When you look at the word confidence in the uh, Thayer's Greek dictionary, you'll see that it talks about it being able to persuade. To persuade, to induce by words to believe. You see, the Apostle Paul was so convinced of his words that his effort was to convince the church of Philippi that God was in full control. If you will let God be in full control, everything is going to be all right. And God would continually work on their behalf among them. Apostle Paul was so convinced of this, you can see it through his passionate writing unto the church at Philippi. He spoke with emotion through the pen. He spoke with passion through the pen. The words were reaching for people, trying to convince them everything is going to be all right. God is going to continue to do the work in your life if you'll let him. He tells them, hold fast to these things. He gives them that promise. And he speaks with that confidence. I am confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a work in you will perform it until the day of the Lord. The day of Jesus Christ. We sit here today in different states of spiritual condition. Some have been around church their entire lives, some not so much. We have a spectrum, if I could say. Don't be discouraged in your walk with God, because God will continue to grow you. He'll continue to walk with you. He'll continue to bring you along if you will let him. Don't be held back by those that are around you trying to say, well, this is what I believe in it. And it may be contrary to the Bible, it may be contrary to the pastor, it can be contrary to just common sense, but don't believe the things that are contrary to truth. Because people will try to tell you you're wasting away, you need to go this place and God will use you. But God's trying to do a work in your life right here, right now. Don't be discouraged. Don't be feeling like you have to be compelled to go run off and do something else. God is wanting to use this word to 
persuade you to bring confidence to your situation that God is working, just like the song we sing. He's working even though we don't see him working. Behind the scenes, God is always working in our lives. Don't settle for less than what God is trying to give to you. Oh, man, there's stories that we could all say tonight. I could lead testimony service tonight of each and every one of us that would be willing to share and say, don't do what I did. I would be the first to stand and say, don't duplicate the life of Douglas K. Goff. It's not one that you're going to want. But I'm letting God reach down in his infinite wisdom and continue to do the work in my life that he has started. Because anything that I've ever done, I know I just said it recently, but anything that I've ever done that's ever been good, it's because God did it. It was nothing of my own. I was only being blessed of God. That's the only reason anything has ever gone right in my life. Even when my spiritual condition wasn't right, a man of God would step up and say, you need to do this. And he would get me going back the right direction. It was a course correction for me. God wants us to be obedient to his word, obedient to his will. But more importantly, be willing to be molded in the master's hand. Be willing to be so convinced that when the world comes to you and says you could do different, you say there is no other way. I have given my life to God. And you have to live that with emotion. You have to live that with passion. You can't just say, well, I'm, I'm a believer. Someone says, oh, is, is anyone here a believer? You know, just imagine if you were having an event, and Sister Goff and I were just flying the other day, and they had to land a plane, had some complications, and said there were some delays because of an emergency evacuation on board of a plane, and there was a medical event, and so they had to take care of things. And let's just say you're laying on the ground, and Laying in that plane, and the flight attendant comes over and says, is there a doctor on the plane? We have someone that is in dire need of medical attention. You would not want them to say, well, I, I've been one for 40 years. I'm retired. I'm really not in practice, or, or I've just got my license, and I, I'm, I'm really not that great. I've been practicing. I'm in my fellowship, and I'm in my fourth year, and getting ready to branch out. I'm, I, I just... I don't have the confidence. I don't, I'm going to let somebody else. You would want someone to say, I am. I will help. I'm right here. What do you need? What's the situation? Clear the area. Let's get them in the situation where I can assess and address the situation. Let's start the steps. You've been trained. You've been trained. Let's work together as a team. Where's all the supplies? Why do we not do that when this world says, I need a Christian in my life? Why do we not do that? Because we don't have the confidence. God is doing a work in your life. Let him use you. You have not been forsaken because you think you're stuck in this situation of never growing. It's, let God use these moments. Let God use this trial in your life to grow you so he can reach in and say, listen, I've been waiting for years to put you in this situation. Have confidence. Everything's going to be all right. But our flesh says, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to let somebody else. I'm, you look up at that flight attendant button, you're like, no, I'm afraid I'll mess up again. It's going to happen again. I, I was made fun of. I stood up, and I put myself out there, and I looked like a fool, and I didn't trust God. I'm not, I'm going to sit here and do nothing with it. I can tell you, I can recall a time. Some of you were here. I got up and made a fool of myself, but I obeyed God, and I went and talked to my pastor and got his permission, and he says, do it, and I did it. And nothing happened. And I could look at myself and say, you know what? I will never, ever step in the pulpit again. I'll never stand behind a podium. I'll never go to a Bible study and break open the Word of God. You know what I did? I was reminded of a story Brother Self said in your testimony. I can't remember what time when you gave it, but you had faith in God. 
God prompted you to do something, and you went in and did it, and you made yourself look like a fool, but you were obedient, weren't you, brother? And God honored your obedience. God does that. He's testing you. You've got to have the confidence in the training that God has put in you service after service. You can't ride church service to church service. We have however many weeks a year and however many services a week, and you think that you know, each service is going to be the one that changes you. God's trying to push you along every service, every service. You can't, this isn't conference. You can't have conference every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, prayer on Thursday. God is not going to drag you through the dirt. You've got to get up, have confidence about yourself and say, listen, he has not left me. He has not stopped loving me. He has not stopped caring for me. He's investing in me. He's planning me. He's trying to get me to grow. Have hope in what God is doing in your life. Have maturity. As a parent, seeing my children grow up, and you begin to step back, and you watch them make decisions that are right, and you're like, they got it. They're going the right direction. I'm proud of them. But then there's those times where they make a mistake, and you step over and say, now, as they get older, you approach those mistakes differently. Through repetition, you're trying to train them. But then you look at your children as they get as old as Kaiser at 16. And Janessa, what are you, 19? I can't remember. I can't keep them all straight. And you look at them, you're like, all right, she did something wrong. He did something wrong. We're going to have to correct this a little bit different. I don't think they understand the gravity of making the wrong step right here. Before, I wouldn't let them play close to the edge. But life has its way of putting your children in situations that are sometimes out of your control. And you have to let them make that mistake. And just like if you had an open field and you told your child, stop running, and they don't stop running, they keep running. There's probably not a lot of severity of injury that can happen. You have a concern, but it's probably not life-threatening. But as your children get older, you begin to realize you can't run on the edge of life. And as a parent, you have to say, stop. Whatever it is, stop. Do not move. Don't take another step. You don't see it, but you're on the very edge. You're making a bad decision. And you have to pull them back and you say, just trust me and let's walk back. And now I want you to step back and I want you to look. That's where you were standing. If you had taken one more step, it would have been bad. God uses his word. He wants us to mature. He wants us to grow. But when he says listen, you better listen. When he says stop, it's not so you can say, did you say one more step or stop means stop. When God says, don't do that, and the Spirit prompts us, don't do that, don't do that. The beauty of it is when he says, go, it's beautiful. It's walking in obedience and blessing. Some of us get so frustrated with our walk with God because we feel like all we ever hear is no, stop, don't do that, don't touch that. It's because God is trying to get us to be obedient and to grow in the Word of God and to have that confidence that says, listen, God's doing a work in me. He says, stop, I stop. He says, go, I go. We have to have that maturity so God can grow us. Otherwise, you will sit there on the precipice of life and you'll feel like all hope is lost. Why even try keep going to church? Why even try to reach out to a soul? Why even try to even pull my own self up and pray in the morning? Why even have devotions in my life? God's trying to grow us. He wants you to feel his love. He wants you to reach down and touch him. I tell you this morning, as I begin to pray and, and pray about this service tonight, I felt the presence of God just sweep over and I was in quandary. I was like, God, I don't know what you want me to preach. I don't know what it is. He gave me some thoughts, and I wrote them down last week and add to it. But it was just like I was hitting a roadblock. And, and as I got ready this morning and came to work after prayer and, 
and got to work, and I'm sitting there driving down the road on the way to the church. I'm like, what do I do? And he says, just preach what I told you to write. Now, I could have said me, being a planner, a person who likes to document things and write things down, like, oh, this isn't enough. I need, ooh, I need six more verses of Scripture before I'll feel kind of, all right, I got enough to step up here and break open the Word of God. We do that in our very own life. We feel like we have to control, touch, feel, put things in place. Everything's got to be lined up. Can't have this crooked. It's got to be straight. The ribbon's got to be just right in life. The appropriate amount of battery. I'm prepared for life. But we're trusting more of our own self than we're trusting in Him. We have to learn how to trust God and say, God, I'm feeling these situations. And I've sat there, sat on that little prayer bench that I pray at every morning and get up and pray and I'll sit there or kneel there and, and I just begin to talk and just say, God, I, I need you in this way. I appreciate you. And I begin to talk to him and just begin, even in just a quiet voice. Sometimes I, I think I'm praying quietly, just, just trying to listen, just trying to hear. And, and, and no doubt, Sister Goff probably thinks, well, Brother Goff's done praying. I don't hear his voice anymore. But there's times I sit there and I just listen. And you know how many years it's taken me to just listen? Because I felt like if my voice wasn't doing anything, then I wasn't praying. Sometimes God just wants us to step back, and then he gives us a Philippians chapter 1 moment and says, oh, this is how what I think about you. This is how beautiful you are. Oh, you've held on to this treasure from the beginning. Oh, I love you and I care for you. And the tears begin to roll down my face, and I grab a hanky, and I begin to just wipe tears and cry, and I'm like, God... You know who I am. Even when my voice is a whisper, he reaches out and says, you're loved, you're never forsaken. It doesn't matter what time of the day it is. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what's going on. Just stepping back and saying, God, I just want to hear your voice. I just want to hear your voice. You see, God wants us to know that we can walk every day without a doubt, knowing that he loves us. He has not left us. He has not forsaken us. Just because tough times come doesn't mean that God has left you in a wasteland. Just because the decisions get even tougher doesn't mean that he's left you to your own devices. You know what he's doing? He's trying you. Just like in the song we sang tonight, God is taking us through the fire. Whether you're saint or someone who's never experienced the power of Pentecost, God is always reaching for you and trying to woo you to go deeper with him. He wants you to be encouraged tonight. I love you. I care for you. And I'll never, ever forsake you. If you can only just reach up and stick your hand in his, you will not feel his strength lessen. He will not say, oh, oh, I need, I need to let go. I got to do something. I, won't you stay right there? I'll be back to you in a moment. He'll never just say, well, you're okay right now. I've held your hand long enough, and you'll be okay. You felt my love, and so I'll pick you up a year from now. He doesn't do that. God wants you to stay hand in hand. Just think of Adam and Eve. It was so consistent where God would come and visit with them. And they had this sweet communion with the Creator. It was beautiful. We have that very same thing. Where you can get up and talk to Him. You can go about your day. You can pause when everything feels so chaotic. And step back and say, God... Have I told you how much I love you, how much I care about you? And God, you see everything that's going through my mind. I want everything to stop right now, and I want you to know that I love you with all of my heart. 
and I'm never going to stop loving you. I'm never going to stop caring for you. God, that's how much I care about you because I know you'll do the very same thing for me if I will just listen. God loves you. You know, I could have done a flit your eyelids message, lesson, like others that want to jump on and television and make everybody feel like God is love. But God wants us to know. He's not God is love, but God loves us. He doesn't love us so we can go do whatever we want. Just as we read in Philippians, the church took instruction from the Apostle Paul, and God was telling them, keep doing the right thing. Don't step away from the right thing in your life. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you. I'll, I'll be your God. You'll be my people. And he told that as a promise in the Old Testament scriptures. And it's beautiful that we have this opportunity as the New Testament church to feel that same love, to be a part of the covenant of him stepping down here on earth and walking among us giving us this opportunity to have the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I'm so thankful that I did not read or, or quote or say after somebody else a sinner's prayer and them tell me I'm saved. I'm so glad that when it came time for me, when I said, God, I'm giving you everything, that there was a confirmation in my heart. I knew without a doubt I was changed the joy and the peace of God that came over me as he filled me with the Holy Ghost. I felt his love. And I tell you, if I'll continually reach for him, he'll keep saying, Douglas, you're doing good. You're doing good. I'll correct you through the word. I'll correct you through the man of God. I'll, I'll reach down and tune you up here and polish this. But I love you. I care for you. It's amazing today and so sad the amount of people who never hear anyone tell them, I love you. I love you. People don't hear that today. It's so sad. It's so heartbreaking. But the Bible gives us those promises to where he'll reach down that God that created everything, hung us on this little marble in space, and put us out here on the edge of the Milky Way in this giant galaxy. And I can get down on my knees, and you can get down on your knees and pray, and he'll say, I love you. What a privilege. What a privilege. And guess what? It's the same God who spoke to Abraham. It's the same God who spoke all through the Old Testament. Same God who gave all the instructions. We sometimes distance ourselves from this because it really doesn't apply. But it's the same God. Same God. And His Word has never failed. We'll never fall to the ground and, and grow corrupt and go bad because when it touches earth, it grows. When it touches something that receives it, it grows. Have your heart open unto God. Let him be a welcome, a welcome, not guest, but someone welcome into our heart when, when they walk in, they just feel at home because we've cleaned every corner, because we've polished it and we, we have expectation of Someone's coming over. And that's what repentance is. Somebody's coming over. Someone's coming to see me that is very important. That's what baptism in Jesus' name, you're saying, I'm done with that sinning life. And I've got someone that wants to fill my heart and make me feel loved and a part of something bigger than what I could ever do on my own. And that's what repentance does. It says, God, clean out every room in my heart. I want you to come into my heart. I want you to look through every corner. I want you to go behind every door. I want you to take every light fixture down. I want to go behind every piece of furniture. God, clean my heart. 
I want you to come live in my heart to stay. That's the beauty of repentance. And the feeling of love and joy and peace and that sense of belonging and that sense of somebody really does love me. And I can tell you, I grew up in a loving family. My parents are still alive. They love me. They care for me. My brother, his family. I have a wonderful opportunity, a beautiful family, living for God. And, but it does nothing compared to the love of Jesus Christ in my heart. Because I can love my family because I love them. We've grown up together. But the love of God, when it fills your heart, it'll have you sit down next to somebody you don't even know and begin to talk to them about the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. You don't owe them anything, but God's put such a love in your heart that you're willing to say, they need what I have. I've got to tell somebody. I was lost and forsaken and undone. I did not know what direction to go. But God in rich and mercy reached down and touched me and washed me with his blood. And I know he loves me and he promised he would never forsake me. And it's that God that reaches down in a service even like tonight and speaks to a heart that you haven't told anybody what's going on in your life. But God's saying, hey, I love you. I love you. I love you emphatically with passion. I love you. God loves you. God wants us to be a part of the church. The world wants you to feel rejected and look at all the bad decisions you've ever made in life. And roll them out like a scroll and say, look at all the things you did. But here's what the blood of Jesus does. It washes all of that away and says, you don't even have to think about it. You don't even have to deal with that. I'll wash them away. That's the beauty of being loved by God. Can we stand this evening? I know I've gone long right up against time. But I wanted to convey my heart. I feel as if God has lifted off what he had laid on my heart today and before service. Let the church love you. Just as Anthony telling his story, saying, don't lose your family. Being a part of the church is a beautiful thing. Don't let it fall through your fingers and say, oh, I wish. I wish. You are part of something beautiful. Or if you have never been a part of an apostolic church, filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, God wants to put you in a beautiful family that loves you. Absolutely loves you. And you live in the promises of God that He gives to this church family gives to each and every one of us in words of encouragement. God wants you to feel his love tonight. Can we lift our hands and can we talk to him and thank him tonight? Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving me.